Thank you for listening to this message on the Identity House Ministries podcast. We pray that today's teaching brings you in closer relationship with God the Father and empowers you to walk in your God-given identity. Thank you, Lord, so much that um, you've just brought this teaching on our hearts. And um, thank you for the time that we've been able to put research into all of this. I just think it's so cool that you've chosen Savannah and I to talk about this. I mean, you qualified us when we said yes, I suppose. So I just thank you that really you've made it so anyone can read your word and to understand it. And I just thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides us and teaches us into your truth. Um, Lord, I ask that you would bless everybody that's listening. And um, yeah, Lord, we just we just want you to be glorified in this time. And Lord, we just ask that you would fully have reins to speak tonight. If there's a different thing you want to say other than what's on our notes, we welcome you to speak that. And yeah. you know the hearts of everybody that's listening. So, yeah, Lord, we just give you the, the glory, honor, and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Sweet. Ooh. All right, let's do it. So, uh, first we wanted to start off with a recap from Matt's teaching. Um, that was several weeks ago, so we just wanted to get it fresh in our minds, some of the main points that he went over when he gave an introduction to the letters of the church, as well as did his um, survey on the letters to the church to Ephesus. So, um, one thing that we are working from for these letters right now is a framework um, to review it from Dr. Chuck Missler. And he says in every single letter to the church, there are seven elements. And you will find that in all of them. So it's a really helpful study guide when you're, when you're looking at these. And that's kind of what we did when we were looking through this the first time. Um, so just so you guys have it fresh in your mind, the seven elements of each letter to the church that you'll find is number one, the meaning of the name of the church itself it's actually directly relevant to the content of the letter. So it's really interesting to do a word study and see how they relate. Um, number two is Jesus's title in addressing the church. So he's giving himself a specific title that he introduces himself as at the beginning of the letter. That also is extremely relevant to the content of the letter and is a really good study. Um, next is his personal commendation to the church, what they're doing well, kind of saying, hey, I see this. This is going really well. I'm pinpointing this so you know that continue to do this. And then he also shares his concerns. Here's something to work on. Here's something that I think you really should change to be even better. And then he takes time to exhort the church and really encourage them and build them up. And it may be something that they were doing or something that they need to do. But he gives them encouragement that they can do it. And then you'll see a closing, which is to um, he that hears the things of the churches. Uh, we'll read it. I can't remember the exact phrase right now, but there, that is in every single um, letter is a, a closing. But then at the end of the closing, there is always a promise to the overcomer. Um, and this is the specific thing that if you follow his commendation and his concerns and do what he exhorts you to do, this will be your promise. Um, so you'll see all of those in each letter, and we'll be going over them for the letter up to Smyrna. Next, one thing we want to really reiterate to you guys is Jesus is the author of all of these seven letters to the church. It's not Father God. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus writing and speaking to his church members. So that's really important to understand. Um, next, what you'll find when you're studying these letters is that there are four levels of application that you can take from it, and it helps you with studying. So, um, number one, um, is a current and local application. That means that each letter is applicable.
applicable to the people of that specific church at that specific time period. So it's going to mean exactly what it needs to mean for the letter to Smyrna. Next is a personal application that's for us, that it will be completely applicable to every single believer personally for all time. It doesn't expire. So what we are reading in something that was written a long time ago is still 100% relevant to us to this day. And it never will not be relevant. Um, next is the church-wide application. So it can be applied. Everything that we read in these letters can be applied to every single individual church that has ever been. And every church that you have always ever been to or will ever be in has some elements of each of these seven letters of the churches. So you can find character traits of every single church within these seven. And it's really helpful to take a look, a critical look at the church you're in or the ones you've been into the past and see, here's what they did well, here's what they could have grown in, and to be very mindful of that. So we could constantly be trimming um, our branches to be even more fruitful. And then lastly, there is a prophetic application. So each of the seven churches and the letters to the seven churches re represent a corresponding period in church history or an era in church history. And it's really exciting because you can actually map out over the last 2000 years, the era of church history based off of these letters in exact order. So it's really interesting. So with that, turn it over to Chelsea. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so a lot of our research came from um, Pastor Paul Leboutillier. I hope I said that right. If I didn't, <laughs> Pastor Paul Leboutillier, I apologize for <laughs> butchering your last name, um, and Dr. Chuck Missler. Um, it's cool because I did more research from Pastor Paul and Savannah did more from Pastor Ch uh, Dr. Chuck Missler. And a lot of what we found lined up. So yeah. that was really reassuring and it felt very good um, that a lot of what we found was the same stuff. Yep. A lot of this information is historical and pretty straightforward if you look back at the history of that time, uh, prophetic history and all sure. of that. So yeah, that's just some cool things that I took from that. Um, the letter to Smyrna, Revelation 2, 8 through 11. So go ahead and turn to your Bibles to Revelation 2, 8 through 11. Let's go ahead and read that section. This is the letter to the church in Smyrna, written by Jesus. So, so Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. To the and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know your works and tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of them, which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be you faithful to death, and I will give you a crown of life. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. Thanks. That's it? Cool. Nice and short and sweet. <laughs> we almost tackled Pergamus as well, and then we got into it and was like, whoa, no. There's way too much information <laughs> to just, we'll just stick with one letter. Even though it's only four four verses, there's so much meat in there. Yeah. So um, Smyrna, just a little bit about Smyrna. Um, the era we're looking looking at right now is AD 100 to 313. So that's the corresponding church history that we're looking at with Smyrna. Um, it's about 40 miles north of Ephesus. So just a little 
map visual of that where they were, you know, in mm-hmm. relation to each other. Um, it was a very wealthy city uh, because it was on the Aegean Sea. It was a seaport and it was a huge mecca for goods and services. So, yeah, that's a little bit about Smyrna. Yeah. I found. So one fact that we did find that was really important was um, Smyrna was actually known for its Caesar worship. So its acts of worshiping the emperor at the time. And there was actually a yearly obligation, but it was actually highly encouraged um, to do something, but it wasn't written in law where you had to, once a year, um, bring your offering to the temple to honor the emperor. But So it was highly encouraged, but Christians who did not adhere to this or chose not to partake in this obligatory incense burning were actually put on a ledger and later that year were burned at the stake or fed to the line. So it was... Highly encouraged, but I think it was actually legally <laughs> you should to do that. Yeah. So that was what was going on at the time. And some Christians did partake in that to save themselves. And, you know, oh, it's just once a year. What is that? Like one thing. But there were also the Christians who chose not to in any way partake. And they were persecuted for that choice. But So that's really important to know about what's going on at Smyrna during this time. Okay, so let's get into the meaning of the name Smyrna. Um, Ephesus, if you remember from Matt's teaching when he was teaching on the letter to the church in Ephesus, um, it means delighted. Beloved. Beloved. Okay, beloved. I desired. Know. Desired. Okay. Yes. Desired. Beloved. Um, the meaning of Smyrna is, um, sorry, I'm marking ahead into my, myrrh. So myrrh is an ointment used during those times for embalming the dead. And there's a lot of references, obviously, in this letter um, about death. So it's just interesting how, like, the name lines up with really what was going on during that time. Um, And I skipped over. Let's look back at Revelation 2, 8. Um, And unto the angel of the Lord, of the church in Smyrna, write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. So that's more of, like, what what we're kind of looking at right now is verse 8. So, yeah. Yep. And something really interesting that we discovered about myrrh is M-U-R, which is the direct um, meaning of Smyrna, which means death. But then myrrh, which is M-Y-R-R-H, is actually a um, herb or a plant that was used in embalming the dead. Um, And it actually only gives off a scent or healing property when it is crushed. So... That's really interesting just thinking about um, us talking a lot about death and persecution in this letter and that the name of Smyrna means death. So it really does relate. So that brings um, back to around when we were talking about the seven elements of the letters of the church. The meaning of every single name of the city where the churches are at in these seven letters is 100% relevant to the content of the letters themselves. So you'll see this comparisons, and that's why it's really important to do word studies, to have a greater understanding about A, everything is tied together, and B, I just think it's really amazing how God weaves everything together perfectly. That it's just one layer of an onion that you peel and you learn more about something, and you totally can't deny that Jesus wrote this, like, immediately. You can't. So that's what we're going on. So that's... The meaning of the name Smyrna, which is myrrh, which is death. Mm -hmm. Moving on, we're going to talk about the title of Jesus. So that's going back to Revelation 2, 8. And he says, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. 
So he's talking about himself here. Um, and what you can do is if you go back to Revelation chapter one, you will find every single title that Christ uses to every single letter. So if you read Revelation chapter one, you'll find every title that he uses for all the other seven churches when he's addressing them. It's really cool. So you can see again that weaving of the tapestry where it's all working together. So you'll find him say this in Revelation 1.11, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia. So that's essentially where you find it. But you can also find him, describe him as that in Revelation 1.17 through 18. So that's twice in one, one chapter. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. And just so you guys know, I'm getting excited, so I have to adjust. Um, anytime you, you are reading the word and you are seeing the reference of the first and the last, that statement always refers to Jesus. It never is response. It's never talking about the father because it only applies to Jesus because he's the only one that died and is now alive again, the first and the last. So it's, it's really infallibly proven that it is Jesus writing this letter. Yeah, that's good. And um, one thing that Matt pointed out to me is a lot this week when we were talking about stuff, this is a key mistake that you will find when you're talking to someone who's a Jehovah's Witness because they believe that Jehovah God is the one that wrote these letters because they don't believe that Jesus died and is now alive again. So they say it's Jehovah God, but it's really Jesus. So that's an interesting thing to think about. It is. Move it back to you. It's good. <laughs> yeah, we're just going back and forth of what we found, which is really cool. Um, so we're still on the title of Jesus, and kind of what I took from that was, you know, Jesus is saying here, I am the living one. Um, he emphasizes his eternity, his resurrection, the one who overruled death. Um, what a powerful and comforting thing to hear at this time and incredibly relevant to the content to the letter, as we will see in the commendation, um, exhortation and promise to the overcomer. So again, Jesus coming in with the perfect thing to say at the perfect timing for these people with so many people dying. And he's saying, I know what's happening, but I am the living one. So it's also an example, like, you get to resurrect with me, yep. as it says in, I believe, um, Colossians. So if you die with him, you're resurrecting with his resurrection. So it's yep. really good. Also, we found other scriptures um, throughout the Old and New Testament that talk about this title of Jesus. But we wanted to give you guys personal responsibility to look them up on your own time with your time with dad. Um, so if you wanted to see other verses where he talks about the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega, this kind of connection to Jesus, you can find that in Isaiah 41.4, Isaiah 44.6, Isaiah 48.12, and Revelation 22.13, just to get you started. But again, the Bible references itself and cross-references cross itself um, a lot. So you'll, once you get started, you'll won't stop there. It's, it's a lot to go into. So moving on, we're going to now talk about the commendation to the church of Smyrna. So we've already talked about, um, the 
meaning of the name Smyrna, which is myrrh, death. We talked about the title of Jesus, which was, I was dead, but now I am alive, the first and the last. So he can relate to them experiencing death on a personal level. Um, and now we're talking, we're moving to Revelation 2, 9. And it says, I know thy works and the tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. So if you guys remember about the opening commendation to Ephesus, there's a very similar word, like, I know thy works. Um, so he begins very similarly to that other church. But it's, they are two um, churches, but they're living in completely different circumstances. The main difference was Smyrna was experiencing real persecution for their faith at this time on a daily basis. So, and we're going to talk about the first part of this verse because it's kind of broken into two parts. The first part is how he says, I know your works, your tribulation, and your poverty. And we know the tribulation directly refers to their ongoing persecution. So, Chelsea? Okay. Um, I just wanted to look up the definition of persecution. Um, the Webster's definition of it is to harass or punish in a manner designed to injure, grieve, or afflict, specifically to cause to suffer because of belief. So I, I feel like I understood what that word meant, but I don't know. Something about looking up the definition of it, it just, it visually brings it to you're suffering because of your belief. Like you're, all of this injuries, affliction, it's happening because of what you believe. Um, and then I looked up one of the transliterations to the word persecute. It's the one that is from verse nine. Um, it's the Greek, in the Greek, obviously, G1377, if you want to look it up on your own time. Um, the word is dioko, and it means in any way, whatever, to harass, trouble, molest one, to persecute. So that's the translation of persecution from verse 9. Um, I just like doing word studies, so I just brought one one of many that <laughs> you can find. If you want to look up tribulation, poverty, you know, you can find those cross-references like yeah. Savannah was talking about. It really does bring everything to life, and you get a better understanding of, you know, we're in four verses, and we could look up every single word in the Greek, and you can just, oh my gosh, you can spend hours doing that. Um, so I... I wrote down that experiencing persecution by both Jews and Romans. So I guess I just assumed that the Romans were the only people persecuting um, the Christians, but it was also the Jews. Um, Smyrna contained many Jews, but they were like the Apostle Paul before his conversion when he was Saul. So they were viciously opposed to Christianity. Yeah. Um, also, Smyrna contained a huge number of Romans, obviously, who were very loyal to Rome. They believed in emperor worship, like Savannah was talking about, and they worshiped him like a god. I mean, if you're doing acts to show that he is Lord, then that, I mean, that's worship. Um, one church historian claims that during this particular time period, that five million Christians were put to death. That's insane. I mean, from AD 100 to 313, and five million Christians were persecuted? That's, can, can you all imagine if that happened now? Like. Um, I wrote down some examples of persecution that were happening during that time. Um, so persecuted church people were dying, being martyred, just for being followers of Jesus Christ. They were herded into huge amphitheaters and fed to hungry lions. It's not like just in the movies. It happened here during this time. 
Um, they were actually sewn into the skins of animals, and then they allowed wild dogs to come and tear them apart. Like, this was premeditated torture. Um, so you can see the hate in the slander. They were boiled in oil. John the Apostle, um, they attempted to kill him by boiling him in oil, but it didn't take. Praise God. That's amazing. Um, and then one other thing was emperors would, would dip them in tar and then burn them at the stake, like what Spano was talking about, too. Mm -hmm. That was a very common way to be persecuted. So, I mean, it's not just, like, here and there. We, I, I don't know. I just wanted to share all that to kind of paint a picture. It opened my eyes because you hear persecution, like, and then you can say, oh, that's so sad. You know, but no, think about it. Think about the brutal was happening now. Can you imagine? So, um, <laughs> I get worked up about that. I know your afflictions is what, what Jesus was saying in this letter. This is a simple knowledge that Jesus knows our pain. He knows what we've gone through and what we're going through now. He sees us. He's seen every tear you've shed. Imagine every Saturday when we could actually be before <laughs> <Without restrictions>. COVID. <laughs> yeah. um, if we took inventory of everybody that is here and then those that are no longer with us, this is probably what it was like for them. So it's like we're here teaching now. I mean, just imagine how it was during that time. They were meeting. They were still getting persecuted, dropping like flies. And so Savannah and I could be teaching one Saturday, and then we come in next Saturday, and I'm like looking around, where's Savannah? gone <laughs> she could have been persecuted that that's how it was like how many on a week people to week basis. eight to week basis daily probably um yeah so then of course jesus comes in and says i am the first and the last which was dead and now alive jesus is saying here even though poverty thou art rich even though they had no material wealth they were spiritually rich as evident, ev evidenced by their continued de continued dedication to Christ through the persecution. Yeah. So they had such an eternal gaze. They they put their treasures in heaven. They didn't have much. They were, you know, they didn't have anything at all. Poverty. They didn't have anything to their names whatsoever. But Jesus is saying here, you're rich. You've got it right. You've got it down. Yeah, and they didn't so. even try to move or, like, relocate. Yeah. They stayed exactly where they were. Yeah. Which was crazy. I know. It just took it. Damn, anyway, so the second part of um, his commendation is talking about, says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. So here's what some ideas are for what the blasphemy of these Jews actually is. Yeah. Um, one of those could be was, you know, those who were partaking in that obligatory Caesar worship for the year. You know, they said that they were they were believers. They said that they were, you know, they believed, but they still went and did that act because they didn't quite believe. Their actions said something different than their words. Um, and the other group that this could be was Jewish people who held to the letter of the law, that legalistic, the people who were viciously opposed to Christianity because it just rocked their doctrine it rocked their rules and it was completely like beyond that um there is a lot this we could 
be here all night talking about this particular like divide between those who are legalistic and those who are, you know, the new Christians who don't believe in the letter of the law. Um, but there's a lot of different um, scripture verses that I want to give you guys to look up on your own to fully understand this back and forth divide. So take some time to read John 8, um, some time to read Acts 15, and then especially read Romans 2. 17 through 29. It's a really good scripture, but that is detailing um, Romans 2, 17 through 29 is the one I would start with because it is detailing this main argument that the Jewish and the Gentile believers had to come through. And it was really about, you know, if a Gentile, an adult Gentile became a Christian, did he have to be circumcised? And the Jews to the letter of the law were like, we need to circumcise him. And um, we have Paul, right? Paul, who came and said, no, the circumcision happened in their heart. We don't have to. And so this is where you can see that very heated debate about the divide. Um, so those are the two different kinds of blasphemy, the people who are living only by the letter that they can have no compassion and no mercy and no understanding of God's, the way that God actually thinks about things. <laughs> And then those who were saying that they were Christians and believers, but then their actions did not line up properly. Yeah. Yeah. Synagogue of Satan. I mean, when I first read that, I was like, God, what does that mean? Uh, <laughs> I said, um, these Jews were very zealous for the law, like what Savannah was saying. Um, of the persecutions of the church, many of them had come to the hand of religionists. People who thought they were doing God a favor by ridding them of like the Jews from the earth, or sorry, the Christians from the earth, um, now these Jews are being manipulated by Satan, and they don't even know it. So the synagogue of Satan, they're serving him, and they, they're so deceived, they, they're not even realizing it because they're so under the law. Yeah. They really thought they wanted the things of the Lord. Like, I think that they did think that they were doing the right thing, um, but unfortunately they were, they were too stubborn to hear the good news yeah. of Christ. And, and like yeah. Paul, when he was Saul, is the greatest example of one of these people who, like, he went about, like, persecuting these Christians, and yeah. he was so zealous about it. But if you had asked him before his conversion, he would have had no doubt in his mind that this was the will of the Lord. Yeah. Um, so that just really gets you how important it is to check your mindset of, yeah. like, you know, how much is your love of the law clouding your compassion yeah. and clouding, like, if you actually are hearing from God sometimes or have you been bamboozled a little bit into being strict um, and stringent in the wrong things um, so next you'll actually notice that it goes from Revelation 9 to Revelation 10 and it goes from Revelation 9 is talking about commendation and then Revelation 2:10 goes right into the exhortation of the church of Smyrna there's actually no concerns listed in between those so like Ephesus they had a concern that says, you have forgotten your first love. But literally, Jesus had nothing negative to say about the church of Smyrna at all. Nothing but good, nothing but praise, nothing but encouragement in building up their faith and building up their, their understanding that they're not alone and that they are walking with this with someone who understands death and was overcoming it. Um, and so that's just amazing of like, if God wrote a letter to me today, would he have no concerns to list? I don't know <laughs> the answer to that. I want to say 
he would have none, but he probably would have a few things to just tweak. Um, but yeah, so you'll, that's just crazy. There's no concerns listed. So he went straight to exhortation. That's amazing. That's a possibility that God can have absolutely no concerns about your church, no concerns about your community or your walk. And this is amazing. So we'll go back into his exhortation, which is what he's really focusing on with the church of Smyrna, building up their faith. So if you read Revelation 2, verses 10, it says, Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Okay, so Matthew 5, 10 through 12, just goes perfectly with this. Um, this is Jesus talking. He said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say, Manner of evil against you falsely, for my sake. Rejoice, and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they had poor sorry, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So here Jesus is saying rejoice and be glad <laughs> while you're being persecuted because your reward's in heaven. Can you imagine? Yep. It's rejoice. again that eternal perspective. Yeah. Like your physical reality is what this is. You will do not expect it to change. He's pretty much setting their expectation. Yeah. But expect beyond to be amazing and yeah. I will take care of you. Yeah. And so it's like this is what your reality will be but you cannot even comprehend what I will have for you after this. That's incredible. So one thing that when I read this, I was like, 10 days of tribulation. I'm a very literal person, so I was like, is this literally you're only going to suffer for 10 days? And so one possible definition of that is just a short period of time. It was kind of like an idiom that was used, you know, 10 days of tribulation. But one thing that I stumbled across through Dr. Chuck Missler was the possibility that he could actually be talking specifically about the 250 years of Roman persecution of Christians, which is the 10 periods of Roman persecution of Christians. That's talking about the persecution that Christians received underneath the Emperor Nero, Domitian, Trajan, Marcus Aurelius, Septimus Severus, Maximus, Decius, Valerian, Valerian, Aurelian and Diocletian, and Diocletian was by far the worst out of all of them. But if you count all of those emperors up, it's 10. It's 10 of them. So it's almost like Jesus exhorting them for the 250 years of Roman persecution that was to come. And it's like, that's when Jesus and God blows my mind of like, he's just like, just in case you're doubting if I know the future and the present and the past, I'm just going to tell you exactly how long this is going to go. And this ended when Constantine, the Roman emperor, converted to Christianity. Mm -hmm. That's when the Roman persecution ended, which is after that 250-year period. Yep. Yep, I wrote exactly that. It says, Rome at that time wanted to rid the world of Christians. Why did this persecution end in 313 AD? Because Constantine converted to Christianity. Um, So now it became politically correct to be a Christian, so to say. Um, Then you could be in the good graces with the government. And because of this, the church and state became melded together, a.k.a. married, which you'll see in the letter to the church in Pergamos coming up next week. 
Um, so yeah. Do you want to add that little thing that you told me about? Yes. Yeah. Good. So um, one other story that I came across was actually it's not he, he's not in the Bible because he um, existed after the Bible was written, but there's Polycarp. Um, he was a disciple of John. And he was actually the bishop of Smyrna of the church. And so he was born and martyred in Smyrna, but he was the head of the Christian church in Smyrna. And so he was very important to their, their um, church at that time. He was actually uh, forced to uh, and highly encouraged to denounce his faith to save his life. And um, I heard this excerpt. It was from a, a Jewish historian who wrote what he said as a response. I'm going to try to get through this without crying. I cry every time. But this is his response back to them saying, you need to denounce Jesus or die. And he said, I can't even. Okay, hold on. I can do this. It's just, it's his heart is just incredible. I want you guys to grasp like the reality of this. I don't know if I would have responded this way in his, in his shoes. So he says, Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. This could indicate that he either was then 86 years old, or he had lived 86 years after his conversion. You don't know for sure, but that was the, the time of frame that he talks about. Polycarp goes on to say, How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season, and after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. He was then burned at the stake and pierced with a spear for refusing to burn incense to the Roman emperor. That highly encouraged practice of emperor worship. On his farewell, he said, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour, so that in the company of the martyrs I may share the cup of Christ. Like... I can't even, like, he knew what his reward was. It wasn't to save his life. He knew it was coming after. But still, in the midst of daily persecution, he said, he has done me no wrong. Like, no complaints for his earthly circumstances at all. It's incredible. So Polycarp served as an amazing example that the church, what the church could do when it heeds this exhortation of like, don't fear them. Don't mm -hmm. fear this persecution. Don't fear this. Your reward will be great. And he continued his faithfulness unto death, which I'm sure he did and a lot of other yeah. believers at that time. But would you respond the same way under the same pressure? Yeah. Something to think about. Um, so moving on from the exhortation section, we're going to go and talk about the closing, which is really... Um, Again, it found in all of the letters of just, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Matt talked about this in his teaching. This means that this is open. This is for every single believer who will come and has come and is coming. This is relevant to every single church and every single believer. So listen, let him hear. So this also is a great um, warning is if you've heard it, you're supposed to do something with what you've heard. You can't go back and close your ears. You can't go back and say, well, I didn't read that. I didn't hear that. So it's also kind of like, this is, yeah, like, yeah, 
not it's not a timer per se but it's like you have no excuse anymore <laughs> yeah you want to be a doer of the word not a hearer only. yeah yeah all right so that was the closing and we're gonna move on to the promise to the overcomer so i hope you've been keeping up with the points maybe we should say them one more time before we get to seven is seven the last one seven yeah. is the last one yeah okay we'll recap at the end we're about that <laughs> Okay, promise to the overcomer. Overcome the second death. Ooh. Revelation 2, 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. You're probably wondering, what does that mean? How do you die twice? How do you die twice? <laughs> when I read this the first time, I was like, I feel like Nicodemus. Because it's like, how, was I, how, do you, how are you born again? And this, this one is like, how do I die twice? <laughs> Um, so, physical death is the first death. The second is spiritual. We will not suffer this if we are in Christ today. So, we, we, we are going to die one time. But we don't have to suffer the second death if we are in Christ. We have eternal life after that. We are with Him in heaven forever when we are with Christ. So, that's huge. I mean, if you don't have Christ, you're going to die twice. And your second death is... Unfortunately, not with God. It, it's hell. I mean, death means separation from God. It, it's not such a physical thing. It just means you're separated from God. So, can you imagine just not being with God forever? I can't be without him one day. So, one second of the day. <laughs> it's just not a place you want to be. Yeah. So, um, we live in a culture where physical life is exalted. And without it, we have nothing. I mean, social media is just at an all-time high and I have to look like this, be like this, live my life like this, have all these things. But that is not what they did in Smyrna. It was all about the eternal gaze. We're, we're storing up our treasures in heaven. Here's what Jesus said about physical life. Luke 12, 4, if you want to turn there, I highly encourage you to. It's so good. This is what Jesus said. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. The first time I read that was quite a long time ago, and I thought to myself, okay, I should fear Satan because he can put me in hell. But that is not what this is saying. This is, Jesus is, is the judge. He has the say of who goes into heaven, who goes into hell. So don't be afraid of this physical world, what can happen um, to you here. That's what he's saying um, about death. But, you know, we should have a reverent fear of the Lord. Like, our eternity is in his hands. That's who we should be having a good, godly fear about. And, you know, so yeah. Um, we all share in the first death, except for those that are raptured. But this is not the expiration of life itself. Yeah, it's just another recap of that. Yeah, and you actually will see another reference to um, this phrase, like the first resurrection and the second death, later on in Revelation. So actually, I'm going to read Revelation 26. Again, cross-references. There's so many of them, and it's wonderful. Um, so it says, Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The, section, the second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. That is part of the promise to the overcomer to the people of Smyrna. 
So if you think about it, this was so encouraging to them because they were experiencing this death, this tribulation, this like life and death experience. But they knew that they were going to be reigning with him. He said, I've got you. Your reward after this is going to be so far superior. Mm-hmm. Don't fret. Do not mm-hmm. fear. And so that's just amazing. So we're going to go back and um, that's all seven elements. Um, so just to recap, so that way we're all we're all straight. Number one was the name of the meaning Smyrna, which is myrrh, which equals death. Number two was the title of Jesus, which is the first and the last, which was dead and is now alive. Um, number three was the commendation, which was, I know your works and your tribulation, and you're also not, you know, from the synagogue of Satan, so good job, you know. <laughs> number four, there were no concerns listed. Awesome. We can move on from that. Number five was the exhortation of fear none of those things. I've got you. Um, and then we have the closing, you know, that this is something you should pay attention to. He who hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then the promise of you will overcome the second death, which is meaning you will not die. You will live. So just like Jesus, if you were dead, you will be alive again, just yeah. like him. Follow his example. Yeah. Um, so that's just that in a nutshell, you know, and that's kind of what we did. Yeah. But we want to now talk about the four levels of application that we talked about at the beginning. So this letter has four different layers of application to us and to um, the people who read it. So first of all, there was that local and current application. So every fact that was listed in this letter was relevant to their specific time and location. Everything that they read was completely applicable to the Church of Smyrna. All of that exhortation and that encouragement of their extreme love and devotion while experiencing extreme persecution was relevant. They were reading it and they needed it. It was exactly what they needed to hear which is amazing. God knew and Jesus knew exactly what to say to calm their hearts and to continue their devotion. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but if uh, Jesus wrote a letter that didn't have anything wrong to say about what I was doing, that would spur me on to keep on going. <laughs> um, then we have the personal, uh, personal application. What does it mean to us? And a big question that comes from us is why do we Christians have or experience persecution? The best way I can describe this, this is persecution, which is different than trials or circumstances that you can control. This is circumstances that you have no control over, just like Smyrna, you know, things that just happened that you had no control over. This is an opportunity to test the loyalty of our ambassadorship, to practice what we preach, to do we really believe what we say we believe. This is the time to prove it. That's what the opportunity is like. Though for me, reading about Polycarp and his his martyrdom, but his response, that's a personal way I can think about when I experience something or when I have the opportunity to do something versus not do something. That's a personal choice. Um. Yeah, and we shouldn't be afraid of persecution at all because, like Jesus said, He has the promise to the overcomer. You shall not fear. We'll experience life with it. We won't experience the second death. That's a promise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not going to share that scripture. Okay. Um, <laughs> I said you don't get to a Christian in a negative way. Like, you can't get to a Christian by making life harder. Um, you get to them by making life easier. Um, look what happened when Constantine was converted and the state and church were married. Ultimately, corruption, which 
we'll look into next week. Um, but that spiral, spiraled down to the Dark Ages. So we go from this long period of persecution time into the church and state marrying where, you know, if you're a Christian, you're politically correct and okay, I don't have to do a whole lot, you know, I can just yeah. cruise. Um, but, you know, at the same time, that's the way I feel like the enemy was really getting people because they didn't think about it very much. I don't have to serve and worship God. I don't need anything from him. Like we, we do all the time. Like we just ask him for stuff and that's the only time we have a relationship with him and talk to him. Whereas, you know, we need to have daily relationship. We need to talk constantly. Yeah. And for some reason, when we're persecuted and things are coming our way, we grow. Like, the church at that time grew, even though people were dying every day. The church actually grew. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the way he was trying to take us out at that time, was ha- having people cruise. And that goes back to the use of myrrh again. Yeah. Like, the yeah. crushing of that brings such a sweet savor yep. and it like brings that healing property but only when it is crushed yeah which is really interesting to think about it's definitely necessary yeah times. um the next level of application is church-wide so again like we talked about this is take some time to look at your current church how much the how much of this letter actually applies to us what 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 does this apply to identity house are we experiencing the same amount of persecution no, I would not. No, we're not. But could we practice the same amount of devotion yeah. with the eternal perspective? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I could grow in that. Mm-hmm. Where my circumstances do not change my level of devotion to my father mm-hmm. and to my, my bridegroom. Mm-hmm. Like, that's amazing. So you can see, like, would, again, would Jesus have no concerns about us? he give us the same exhortation see if it applies that's worth worth a worthy thing of doing (laughs) a worthy thing and the last level of application is prophetic and so we talked about the prophetic really equaling um it talks about an era of church history so this was written before church history occurred, right? This was the early church. Yeah. Um, but the prophetic, Smyrna is a is the prophetic example of the persecuted church. Obviously, it makes sense. This letter is relevant to the entire era of church history that is about persecution, the persecuted church. It expands far beyond Smyrna's locality. It expands to the world of the, the Christian church that was being persecuted for that time and period of time. Like we talked about that, like when um, Jesus was talking about the 10 days of tribulation, that was the 10 emperors and the 250 years that foreshadowed what was going to happen and thus it's prophecy. So it's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so cool how it, of course it lines up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I found this little, it, it's a, chart really I meant to print it out and I didn't so I'm just going to read it to you guys <laughs> it really just goes through each of the eras of the prophetic historical view of this what we're talking about um so Ephesus also known as the apostolic church was from AD 30 to 100 Smyrna is known as the persecuted church prophetically is from AD 100 to 313 Pergamus is the state church 
which we'll get to. All the rest of these we're going to get to, but I'm just going to say them for the sake of seeing how they all line up. Um, it's from AD 313 to 590. Thyatira, is that how I say it? Th Thyatira. Thyatira. Man, I told you. You'll get Thyatira. Thyatira. I'm going to get it right one day. <laughs> it's the Papal Church. It's AD 590 to 1517. Sardis is the Reformed Church, AD 1517 to 1730. It's all side by side. There it is. Really cool. Yeah. Definitely worth diving into. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good resources. Like we said, Dr. Chuck Missler talks about it. And then yeah. the gentleman. Paul Le Boutillier. <laughs> she said it. Um, Chuck Smith. And Chuck Smith. Yes. Chuck Smith is the guy who you will find on the Blue Letter Bible app who has a bunch of commentaries. Yeah. Highly recommend reading his. They're really good. Very good. Honestly, if you go to YouTube and type in Revelation 2 explained or commentary, there are so many people that, I, I mean, I listen to a various different amount of people, and this is such a straightforward teaching because it's historical and prophetic, and it's letters from Jesus to the churches that everyone pretty much is saying the same thing. So it, it's very straightforward if you're looking to dive into a letter. Yep. Or any of the seven letters, I feel, have been very straightforward yeah, yeah absolutely it's not as confusing or mystic as you think <laughs> jesus tells us what it means so which is why we're teaching on it because we can <laughs> we have the lord to yes so just to wrap things up we kept thinking when we were really talking about this we kept being like there's a few key takeaways that we after studying it like kind of changed our perspectives yeah. like we have come back like we're walking away from this study like changed with with a new understanding yeah. and a new drive um and so we wanted to kind of share a few of our key takeaways from this to maybe encourage you guys to really marinate what does this letter mean to you yeah. what do you get out of it um for me the highlighting of eternal perspective like that there's that is the only way they must have been able to continue in their their extreme devotion even unto death without wavering they had that eternal perspective because they knew what the word said they knew what what was waiting for them and so they didn't waver which is just like amazing so that's like my key takeaway like i will not waver mm -hmm. i will keep an eternal perspective no matter what i see with my physical senses mm -hmm. um like, because he's got, he's taking care of my eternal one. Um, and then a huge thing is, like, this is, I don't know, Matt talked about this several weeks ago, or maybe it's just because I live with him and he talks about this a lot. But he, um, he mentions, he mentions, like, that um, Satan awoke the beast when he started to mess with Christians. Mm -hmm. He awoke the beast of the church. And I kind of like that because it gets you kind of nitty gritty. But, like, the church is naturally designed to grow under persecution. Mm -hmm. We don't need to fear it. We don't need to react in fear. We should be excited. Like, we titled this teaching When Push Comes to Shove because it's like, let's go. Mm -hmm. Like, that's awesome. So that's mm -hmm. my other, like, big takeaway. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I was praying about this and just really sitting with it as well. Um, and one of the big morals of the story, so to say, or a big moral of the letters, is that Jesus knew exactly what to say to encourage, build faith, comfort, and in some cases correct for protection with some of the other letters. Um, this is still true today. Jesus is still alive and still talking to us. He still knows exactly what we have need of in our lifetime. Um, it's hard for me to personally believe sometimes, but my life matters to the point of Jesus writing a personal letter to me. My life matters just as much as a letter addressed to a church or even to Christians in general. I believe he meant this letter um, to feel and be received in a personal way. That's one of the four applications. And I just, that really stuck with me that it's, it's still personal. He somehow made it such a general thing that every church can get something from it, but it's still exactly personal to you. Um, in a way, this letter warmed their hearts during a time of persecution and would give them the encouragement to keep going and to keep standing firm in the face of adversity. How sweet is a word and a timely, when it's a perfect time. What is that? There's a proverb that's like, it's something about like a, a word when the good time is sweet, like honey. It's something like that. But I think you're merging a bunch of proverbs, but it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it, you, you can, you can you do what I'm saying. <laughs> but it's like, sometimes it's just, the Lord will just say one thing. It could be one word or one sentence, and it just encourages you like nothing else and comforts you. And it's just so true here, and it's true in our own lives. He knows exactly what to say. If you're not sure what to do, listen to him. He'll tell you exactly what to do. And nine times out of ten, usually ten out of ten times, it's first an encouraging word. He, he will talk to you to comfort and encourage and build you up. Of course, we need to be hearing what he has to say to correct that's just as good, and it still sounds sweet when he says it. It's like you want to change when he says it. So it's not to be afraid of correction, but it's always encouraging when he's talking. Um, and it's also amazed me that the, this persecuted church had such an eternal gaze, like what Savannah was saying, that the reward was in heaven, and they died for what they believed for, and they lived for what they believed for. Yeah. Um, I just had a few questions that I was thinking about and asking myself. Um, and you can do this too if you want. If given the choice of being fed to lions or announcing your belief in Jesus, <laughs> what do you think you would do? Like, get real and think about it and dig in your heart. If there's, like, they're right there. You're, you're going to get taken away and thrown to the lions. Or you can say, no, I'm standing with Jesus as my Lord. Honestly, what would you do? Um, do you value your life on earth more than just being with the king? In his presence. Um, King David said that I desire nothing more than to be in your 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 house forever. I butchered that too, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and then the last one, this is actually a quote or a question from Francis Chan to really like look at your heart state. And it, he says, if our Lord were not in heaven, would you still want to go? Are you just going so that you can be freed from eternal dam damnation, or are you going because you want to be with Jesus? That's a hard question. I mean, especially in, in our life where we do take the physical world and we kind of put it here. We kind of put God down here and he fits in our box. Yeah. But that should not be the way that it is. He should be here and everything else can fall in, into place. Yeah. So that, that was my, those are my takeaways. Yeah. So these are really good questions to marinate on and think about and ask yourself and be honest 
Yeah. Because it could change your life, the way that you react and they, they respond to these. And I just want to end on this, like, again, there was no correction for this church. Mm-hmm. That means that we have the opportunity to also receive no correction. Yeah. What do we need to do? And how do we need to live our lives? And who do we need to trust to make that happen in our reality? That's all we got. Yep. So I'm going to end with prayer real quick, and then we will let you guys go. Or if there's any questions, yeah. Um, I will pray, and you can type up your questions, and yeah. then we can have a question answer time. Thank you guys for sticking with us through our notes. A lot. It was extensive, but we were really excited. <laughs> so... Dad, I thank you so much for this night. I thank you that Chelsea and I did it, even in the midst of um, feeling inadequate and not able to teach on Revelation because we hadn't studied it before. You brought us together and we did the hard work and you have made it fruitful. And we, we said what you wanted us to say. So I thank you for that. I thank you for the example that you gave us of Smyrna and the wonderful takeaways that we got from it, especially to just turn our attention to you and to make you the most important thing that is in our life and everything else falls away. Mm -hmm. Father, lead us and guide us in how we're supposed to act and represent you and be your ambassadors that do not waver regardless of circumstances, Mm -hmm. that we would be the best ambassadors that we could so that you would say, that's them. I have nothing bad to say about them. I'm coming alongside of them and I'm just gonna encourage them and build them up. Mm -hmm. Father, that is what our heart's desire is And we just look forward to racing towards that together as a church and as a global church as well. So, Dad, we love you. We praise you. We bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message on the Identity House Ministries podcast. If you are interested in finding out more about our ministry, you can find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash Identity House. To find out more about the Identity Network and our sister churches, you can go to www.theidentitynetwork.com.